0: Hello, I'm Jim White and welcome to It's Friday, your arts and culture guide to the weekend. Coming up, we're terrified by this. I only met two or three people like us. They died. When I was a kid, I bumped into these things.
1: I always called it the Shining.
0: We're asking whether the BBC has blown its entire budget
2: on this. We believe there is an organisation that is stealing children.
0: My friend Roger, he's
3: gone missing. I can't find him anywhere. Roger!
4: Lyra has to make a journey.
1: The child is destined to be
5: important. Tell me
0: where she is. I will destroy all of this. I'm wondering why anyone would listen to this.
5: It's always on finding my How I was made to feel can forget, can
0: forget. Joining me in the studio to pick through the week is The Daily Mail's film critic Brian Viner, music critic Adrian Thrills, TV critic Claudia Connell, and our very own entertainment columnist Baz Bamikboy. First this week, the BBC has spent £50 million pounds on its latest lavish fantasy epic, His Dark Materials. This comes as the corporation is increasingly concerned about losing young viewers to its low-cost rivals such as Netflix and Amazon Prime. Apple is now preparing to launch its own streaming service called Apple TV Plus on November the 1st. So today we're asking, is it money down the drain? And does terrestrial TV really still have a future.
3: Um, If you compare the content of the main five channels to Netflix, to Amazon Prime, to Apple TV, it looks tired, it looks old-fashioned, it looks dated. ballroom dancing on a Saturday night. You can understand why they're not interested.
0: I'm very, very disappointed that uh, you haven't mentioned Danny Dyer, The Wall. Surely we're all tuning in for The Wall.
3: Oh, The Wall with Danny Dyer. Again, I mean, if if that's the best that BBC have to offer on on a Saturday night, then it, it it's... <laughs> at <laughs> excuse uh, B- the pun.
0: but you're, you're looking constantly for stories and so mm. on are you now looking more frequently uh, towards the streaming services for the, the the story of the moment constantly
4: I look to Netflix particularly you mentioned Amazon I mean Apple plus have just started with uh, the morning show today with uh, Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon it's a huge show they spent millions and millions of dollars it's interesting that when Claudia was talking about the BBC output I mean it we reminded me when I was a little kid 100 years ago and that's what the BBC was showing you know big band shows (laughs) dancing stuff it hasn't changed
0: and their attitudes are mired in the past and they've got to get get up to date one of the things though that really struck me about how far behind the streaming services are compared to terrestrial tv and I'm talking numbers here yeah do you remember Jeremy Clarkson's grand tour yeah and when it was launched on Amazon Prime huge hype huge hype Mm. Behind it but then it just disappeared it disappeared from the national conversation at the same time Freddie flintoff's rebooted top gear came back and everyone was talking about that so there's still a long way to go for these people to overtake terrestrial television isn't that
3: i don't know i mean the the, the figures that, that came out this week said that um i'd be two-thirds of 15 to 24 year olds are engaging with netflix half of them are watching youtube but they're about one in eight in that age group never watched the bbc and never listened to bbc radio
0: My understanding, Baz, is that the viewing figures for the BBC and ITV average now over 60. I mean, they're for sort of people,
4: sort of, I stand next to on the bus stop, sort of, with with their bus passes. I mean, no one... My son, my son, I can't have a conversation with him about, what, what did you see on TV last night, son? Because he hasn't
0: watched it. I tell you what, the BBC and ITV have got to get up to date. Yeah, but, Baz, when you talk to celebrities who are involved in shows do they still have an ambition to be on terrestrial TV? Or have they they given up that? <laughs> that is the funniest thing I've ever heard in
4: my life. Because <laughs> no, there's no ambition. And by the way, His Dark Materials was... Co-funded by HBO, yeah. who are also about to launch their own streaming service. But,
0: but Claudia, um, the BBC and ITV are, are launching BritBox five ninety nine coming soon. Is that <laughs> going to make a difference? Baz is sniggering <laughs> at the very idea. Yeah, but no, surely this is them reacting, isn't
3: it? Well, I suppose it is them reacting. But I, I think Apple TV is is
0: four ninety nine. Um, yeah, but the trouble I... with that is you're saying, okay, Apple TV is four ninety nine. Netflix is this. Amazon is this. You end up paying about fifty quid a month. Or uh, just for all your streaming or you pick, services, you pick the
3: best one. You pick the one that you want to go with. And at, at the moment, that's that's not going to be anything that BBC or ITV have to offer.
0: That's it. Yeah. The death knell has been sounded by. I think Claudia so. Conner. Well,
3: yeah, I think so. And unless they they massively raise their game, the the only program that I can think of that younger sort of generation Z has really. Engaged with in the last couple of years on, on main channels is is Love Island.
0: There was one thing I, I, I Love Island. I totally gives buy me a, that gives me a rash. Unfortunately, does it? Yeah, it does. All that all that all
4: that sand and surf. I mean, just not good. For just my even skin. watching it, not good it. for my skin. Oh, Island,
3: <laughs> I think that's peaked actually because they're they're now milking it. They're bringing out a winter version in January, um, and I, I think Love Island has, has probably peaked. What
0: Snow Island? Snow um, Peak? Or no, I something, think it's in it? South
3: Africa. So no because they, obviously they've all got to be in bikinis of course because we've got to yes. see them yeah, so course, no you can't, gotta, you can't so do got, a ski gotta version gotta of that but,
4: but isn't it a sad them. state of affairs you know we're now in twenty, nearly coming up to 2020 and we're talking about a TV show about silly little people on an island who are really thick I'm sorry they're really thick but they are really yeah. dumb and I can't believe this is mass cultural TV and that is the best offering and, you reckon that terrestrial and, TV, TV has and, and that's why people are turning to these streaming services and it, I tell you there's going to be a, it's there's a revelation underway as we speak in how we view and watch TV, how we pay for it and what we see on it. It's happening now. So and the we...
0: thought of people gathering around their TV it, it, it's just, we. <laughs> let's not go there, it's over.
4: It's kind of like I mean, I was thinking back to uh, not not so very long ago, maybe 20, 30 years, you know, when Morgan and Wise were on Christmas TV and the whole family would gather in the after their dinner, they'd watch this great show, Glenda Jackson's you know, I- being silly with Morgan Wise, and the next day you'd be at work and you'd be talking about it. The whole country would be talking about it. No one does that now, do they, Claudia? What really? Did, I,
3: I do think, um, what, they got 20 million viewers, didn't 20, they? 20, 30 yeah.
0: million yeah. viewers! Yes, yeah. but 60 million people in Japan watch the Rugby World Cup on terrestrial TV okay. in, in 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 Japan. And Japan is surely, you know, huh. as advanced as we are in its television. So occasionally these things are going to bring us back to terrestrial TV, aren't they? Yes, yeah, probably Downton, Downton Abbey's special i mean (laughs) that's that's the the best we can we can hope for i think (laughs) with that thanks to baz and to claudia now it's time for hits and misses a regular segment where our critics ignore the hype and tell us what they really think about the week's new releases first up adrian thrills the daily mails music critic what have you been listening to adrian
5: well, the big record for me this week is the third album from the uh, the British Ugandan singer Michael Kiwanuka. He's a guy so from North London. He emerged maybe six or seven years ago with his his first record which was a very, very well-crafted kind of singer-songwriter, retro soul record. It it kind of, you could see there was a real talent there. It kind of fitted very much the mold of things that were going on around that time. But he's since um, hooked up with the American producer Danger Mouse, who was a member of Niles Barkley, you may remember from that hit Crazy a couple of years ago, and a young London hip-hop producer called Dean Josiah Kova And... They hinted at it on their last record, his his second record, Love and Hate, and then with, with this third one, Kiwanuka, they've made a really contemporary-sounding kind of modern soul record. It's um, it's not brimful of like catchy three-minute nuggets. It's more of like a one of those kind of what's going on soul suites it's almost like little kind of symphonic movements
0: he's been nominated for both his previous albums were both nominated for the mercury prize Indeed, is Um, is this even better than those i think so i
5: think it's the culmination of those two records it's it's the natural progression the last one love and hate there was a track on that called cold little heart that was used as the theme tune for big little lies the tv drama (laughs) that maybe, it shows you that it's got that kind of cinematic sweep. It's, uh, I can imagine him almost doing a bomb theme one day. It's, they're kind of really big sounding songs. And
0: Adrian, I think I know in what direction you're going, but a hit or miss? A hit. <laughs> and the Daily Mail film critic, Mr Brian Viner. What have you been watching?
2: Well, without any question at all, Doctor Sleep.
0: I only met two or three people like us. They died. When
4: I was a kid, I bumped into these things.
0: I always called it the Shining. Dangerous title for a movie, yeah. Doctor Sleep. Well, I
2: suppose it is, yeah, and it does go on for two and a half hours, so you know you've got to be alert and have a few coffees beforehand. But no, there's no danger of, of nodding off. Uh, it's the longer waited sequel to The Shining, so it's directed by a guy called Mike Flanagan, who had a very tricky task because Kubrick made The Shining, but Stephen King, whose book it was based on, hated the movie.
0: Oh, did he? Really I didn't hated it. That. Yeah,
2: yeah. He's been very outspoken about it over the years. So, this guy, Mike Flanagan, who has a very good track record in making horror films, had to make a, a, a film that appealed to King, of course, Kubrick is gone, but he also wanted to pay a sort of homage to The Shining, the movie, so he's managed to do that, really. There are elements of Kubrick's film and very clear references to it. I mean, he even uses a bit of footage from it. But also, he's had to keep King happy, which apparently he has done. Ewan McGregor plays Danny Torrance, so he is the, he's the grown-up. He's now Dan Torrance, as, as a kid he was Danny, and uh, he is now grown up. He's still got his demons, he's still got these psychic powers, but he manages to he, he sort of gets himself clean of alcoholism and all this all these other things. And he settles in a small town in New Hampshire, and things are looking up for him, but there's a there's a baddie at large. It's it's more supernatural than the shining, actually. the The, the Shining was mainly about The Jack Nicholson character, uh, Jack Torrance's descent into kind of madness. And this has got a, a really strong supernatural element, which is incarnate in Rebecca Ferguson, who's a terrific actress. Here, she is absolutely brilliant as a character called Rose the Hat. Anybody who's read the book will know that she was one of the great characters in King's books. She kind of leads this sort of gang of ghouls and, and general kind of misfits. And they kind of tour around America and they are trying to find kids with psychic powers so that they can kill them and kind of inhale their dying breath. It's all very, I mean, it's oh, so weird nice. and supernatural and crazy, but it is it is really really good.
0: And McGregor's in the new Star Wars TV show and and his delivery of lines in Star Wars has always been slightly comical. Uh, does does he
2: does he convince in this? He well, I have to say he's not my favorite actor and I I know where you're coming from, Jim, because I always think with him you can sort of see the acting mechanism kind of whirring. You know, you know sometimes you you, you like to look at a performance and think uh, you know th- that they're not acting this is their this is the character you know they are you completely believe in the character and with him you know very often i watch him and i think well he's just he's kind of you know he's he's committed to his art and all the rest of it but you can sort of see that he's acting and i kind of get that a little bit with this but you know f- for him if it's not too patronizing for him it's a pretty good performance <laughs> <laughs> an all-round brian uh, oh unquestionably a hit
5: uh, an agent uh, if you're not listening to Michael Kuanuka, what have you been listening to this week? Well, the other record I spent a lot of time on this week is the new Neil Young opus. It was called Colorado, so called because it was recorded at altitude in the Rocky Mountains. So I don't know if the uh, thinness of the air got to him, but it's uh, it's it's a patchy set, to be honest. It's uh, it's got some great moments, some lovely classic Neil Young ballads with that kind of signature sound that it's instantly recognizable it's his first record in a few years with the band crazy horse who he's worked with in the past it's not the worst Neil young album the trouble with neil is he's He's made seven albums
2: in the last five years. That is a pretty productive... How old is he now?
5: 73.
2: Didn't he marry Daryl Hannah? He he is married to Daryl Hannah. Do you think that Um, explains his productivity?
5: (laughs) Well, certainly there's a couple of lovely, romantic, acoustic ballads that are just classic Neil Young. There's also, sadly, there's a 13-minute jam with Crazy Horse, which for about two minutes, there's a semblance of a song called She Showed Me Love. And it uh, degenerates into just a real plodding dirge of a jam. There's times, actually, when you think the drummer and the bassist actually drop out and then suddenly realise the song's still going and have to kind of pick up the beat again. I mean, you have to admire his productivity. But I just think with seven albums in five years, plus all the archive releases... That he, he's put out in the same period, it's uh, it, it's stretching obviously a considerable talent. I, I'm not I'm not liking talent.
0: where you're going with Quite this, Adrian. <laughs> Neil Young, and you are going to suggest it's what?
5: I think in this instance it's a miss. No, Ooh. very
0: bad news Poor for Neil. those of us who've loved Neil Young all our lives. Uh, Brian, I have been looking forward to my favourite actress, Julianne Moore, yeah, uh, appearing in after the wedding. What yeah. do you
2: make of that? Well. She's terrific, and so is Michelle Williams, by the way. They're both That two... is a good cast. That is a great cast, yeah, and Billy Crudup is is also in it. He's, he's a terrific actor. The film, after the wedding, is written and directed by a guy called Bart Freundlich. I think that's the right pronunciation. And He's married to Julianne Moore, so they've kept it in the family. Michelle Williams runs an orphanage in India to which she is extremely committed, and she finds out that somebody back in New York is prepared to donate $2 million to this orphanage, and that can going make all the difference. So off she goes to New York to meet this uh, would-be patron, and that is Julianne Moore, who plays this very powerful sort of media baron kind of character so far so good quite interesting and you think well she's a bit kind of righteous and suddenly she's plunged into this scenario where you know there are limos picking her up and she's staying in fabulous hotels with wonderful penthouses with fantastic views and all the rest of it so you think it's a this is a kind of culture clash and she's constantly thinking about her kids back in India and all the rest of it so you think you know where it's going but then there are just about five too many twists You know, it's such a waste of three really good actors, this film, because it just doesn't hang together. You don't stop believing in it. And therefore, I'm afraid I'm going to have to pronounce it a miss.
0: Now you know what's worth seeing and what tickets aren't worth the paper they're printed on. Many thanks, Brian, Adrian and Baz. Jojo Moyes is one of Britain's leading exports. Her 2012 novel, Me Before You, sold more than 6 million copies worldwide, topping the bestsellers charts in no fewer than nine different countries. A a former journalist, she's twice been uh, the winner of the Romantic Novel of the Year Award, and has got a great chance of winning it for a third time with her latest book, uh, Giver of Stars, which is out now. Jojo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for
1: having me. I've never been described as leading export before. I feel very Brexity now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, you're a woman at the moment. So there you are, the winner of the Romantic Novel of the Year Award, not once, but twice. Do you have to be a romantic to write a romantic novel?
1: Well, I get in trouble for this because I, I don't think I write romantic novels. I just think I happen to write about issues and, and then have love stories running through them. But I'm probably not very romantic either. My husband used to say that I complained when he bought me... Fl- at flowers because it meant that I had to wash up a vase. But I do like a good love story. I do like a restrained love story or a, a bit of
0: unexplored passion that always adds to a story, in my opinion. You're a former journalist. Is it that journalistic eye that helps you to find stories?
1: Definitely. Uh, I mean, one of my earliest uh, memories of journalistic training was being given a page of the A to Z. I have to say, when I when I say this to my children, they look at me blankly in their late teens and early twenties because they've never heard of an A to Z cause <laughs> (laughs) they have maps on their iPhone but we were given a page of the A to Z and told to go off for a day and come back with two stories and it was a really tough task, but it's proven to be the most useful thing I could imagine because I just see and hear stories everywhere. And most of my books are inspired by snippets of news or conversation or something that I've seen in the street.
0: Presumably, there is a freedom, isn't there, in writing a novel? You can go wherever the story takes you without being constricted by the framework of truth.
1: Yeah, it's joyful. You get to play God. I mean, you get to decide who lives, who dies, who falls in love, who breaks up. Um, If you've had a bad day, you can have two people having a really nasty fight. You know, it can be great like that. And it's interesting because I now work a lot in film and, and television. And one of the things that you find is that when you're writing a script, you always have to keep budgetary constraints in mind. So if it's raining in your scene you're going to have to think about how much the rain machine is going to cost or if you're filming on a ship you, you have to be aware that that's 40 percent extra on cost whereas when you write a book you're constrained by absolutely nothing except your imagination and and although i like working in other media i think that's probably why i always come
0: back to books in the end uh, and how did it start for you jojo so there you were a journalist you were an arts journalist mm-hmm. you were covering uh, presumably lots of other people doing creative things. Was it a sort of sense of jealousy of their life?
1: Initially, it was because I was working nights as a news reporter and um, I didn't earn very much money and there was no internet then and no good television. And so I was left with this clump of daylight hours in which... Uh, I had to find something to do because all my friends were at work. And so I just, I'd, I'd started loads of books over the years, but I thought, okay, I'm just going to have a go and see if I can actually finish one. So I wrote my first book while working nights at The Independent. After that, I just thought, well, if I finished one, maybe I can get one published. And I wrote two further books while working full time just to see if I could get them published, but neither of them were. And then my last one I wrote when I was pregnant with my second child, and it was really just a sort of last-ditch attempt. Luckily for me, that one was picked up.
0: So, so you're this great magpie who's constantly grabbing stories from books, from newspapers, from the television, from the internet. When do yeah. they start to live in you? I mean, you, you must see thousands of stories. Why does one jump out and start to live in your mind?
1: It's funny, I, I always think they, they sort of stuck up in your head like planes landing at Heathrow and then some of them stick and some of them don't. Like I've lost count of the number of books I've given up at 20,000 words because they just aren't feeling right or I suddenly realise that what I thought was a great idea is actually too similar to something I've done before. 20,000 words is mine and I think a lot of other writers' litmus point really is the point at which you you know you can either move forward or just stop completely so I don't know. It is usually underneath it something that I'm passionate about, or something that's affected me personally. I mean, in the case of the Giver of Stars, the Librarian's book, you know, I'm I'm passionate about literacy. Uh, I was really concerned about what was going on in America with regards to women's rights and reproductive rights so all those things fed into it and with me before you I guess it was to do with having relatives in my own family who required 24-hour care to stay alive And, and you cannot be part of that process
0: and not be fundamentally affected by it. Do you know what's going to happen? Do you structure it very carefully before you sit down? Or does it develop as you're going along?
1: Well, a bit of both, but I'm definitely a planner. I'm I'm always slightly in awe of those writers who can just, fly off and see where they end up that that actually makes my toes curl i can't bear it i need to have a rough idea where i'm going mostly because i like to have at least one twist in my books and i think you can't write towards a twist and and you know obscure things and make your reader think a certain way before you come up to it unless you know when and where that's going to happen so i'm i'm mostly a planner for that reason but my most of my planning goes into character because for me, it's all about character. I think you can have the most amazing plot, but if you don't care who's involved in it, the book won't stay with you.
0: Me Before You was made into a film in 2016. You mentioned yeah. that you're writing increasingly for movies and television. What are you writing at the moment for those areas?
1: Well, I'm helping with a script of a book of mine called The Last Letter From Your Lover, which just started filming last week. And then I've got an original feature-length script, which I'm working on, and a couple of other things. And also this book, The Gift- of stars has been optioned by Universal Studios so although I'm not writing it I'm heavily involved in the work on the script and and the production
0: in general Well it's been absolutely brilliant speaking to you thanks so much for uh, joining us
1: Thanks ever so much Jim
0: Now it's back to the hits and misses this time what's coming up on TV terrestrial or online with Claudia Connell the Daily Mail's TV critic
3: We're going to start talking about The British Tribe Next Door One British Family with a house move like no other.
6: This is the most bonkers thing we are ever going to do in our life.
0: The, the county
6: Durham tribe. Two different approaches to 21st century living side by side. All of the things that you want, want uh, to get
3: rid of.
0: Learning from each other what it means to be human. Oh, God, oh yeah, that, that cringe. set my teeth on edge even mentioning
3: that. Everybody is talking about this, but for all the wrong reasons. It's Scarlett Moffat, who people may know from Gogglebox, and she was on um, I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of here three years ago and she won her and her family go to Namibia to live with their Himba tribe but the twist is that they take their house with them so a replica of their county Durham home is built in the middle of the Namibia desert and they live amongst the tribe there was absolute outrage after the first episode went out it it was racist it was inappropriate we've had the second episode now and it it really doesn't get any better you're talking about a race of people where their biggest worry is access to clean water so they really don't need scarlet moffat showing them how to have a a girly pamper evening
0: surely this is one of those things that there was a meeting of uh, ideas and and someone someone
3: press the button did alan partridge come up with it? (laughs) it sounds like it it does sound like it it's just it is extraordinary nobody can quite believe that that this has happened
0: a hit or miss oh huge huge miss (laughs) now um on sunday nights the bbc desperately trying to retrench Mm. get a few viewers um there's a grand new show coming out on sunday nights tell
2: us about
3: his dark materials
2: we believe there is an organization that is stealing children
3: my friend roger he's gone missing i can't find him anywhere I think this is the biggest budget that the BBC have ever blown on a production. Of. It costs between 40 and £50 million. Pounds, and it's a sort of a futuristic story and it's based on the trilogy of novels by Philip Pullman. Now, if you've never read the novels and you're not familiar with them as I wasn't you will be a little bit baffled about what's going on you're talking about a world of parallel universes and witchcraft and airships and talking animals the story is about it's a 12 year old orphan called Lyra she's at the center and every human character in it is accompanied by something that's called a demon which is a physical manifestation of somebody's soul in the form of an animal and the animal acts as their sort of moral compass and their guardian it's very good and you can see where the money has gone it's it's a real feast for the eyes, but if you don't know the book, you will be spending a huge amount of time watching it, thinking, "What? Who? What?" Huh? <laughs> now, uh? It's
0: written by Jack Thorne, who yes. is the screenwriter yes. of the moment. Yeah, the accident. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it, yes, my it, moment. Uh, yeah, as well. Um, it, it does it work as a piece of TV drama then? Because he knows his way around. It does, the and TV it's also drama. it's
3: directed by uh, Tom Hooper, who's the uh, Oscar-winning director of The King's Speech as well. So they've they've yeah, as we said, they've 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 thrown the money at it, and it's it's got an HPM time slot. So clearly the BBC angling for the the family audience. It does work. Yeah, it does work. It looks sumptuous, and there's a really great A list cast there as well. Hit or miss? It's a hit.
0: Will the BBC eventually make money out of something like this?
3: Then? I think it's going on BBC Sunday first and I think the following week it's going out on HBO in the USA. So but they'll have to sell it around the world. Won't need to reap their money back, I don't know. Or
0: does HBO make the money out of yeah. it? Yeah. But that is a lot of Gary Lineker's salary that has gone into it. <laughs> yeah. 30 million quid. Yeah. Brilliant. Now let's find out what they're gossiping about on the other side of the Atlantic. And I'm joined by the person who really knows the male's own Jackie Stephen. Kanye West, rapper, singer, songwriter, record producer, loving husband to surgically enhanced reality star and fashion designer Kim Kardashian and soon to be... No, hang on, this script can't be right. It says President of the United States. Do you
6: know there is only one subject that anyone's talking about at the moment, and it is Kanye West <laughs> because he has declared that he will become president. He's determined. He's been doing oh, hang his. On, hang on, Jackie. Is
0: that, he's not going to hmm? stand for president. Is that? He's, he's yes, not declared he really he's going to. Sta- no.
6: He, he, yeah, he thinks the next time round. So we're talking only about four years. He is absolutely determined. And he, th- he thinks he's going to get it. And this country is so nuts that I actually think that he stands a very good chance.
0: It would be magnificent to see Kim Kardashian in the White House, wouldn't it? Uh,
6: I think it would be dreadful to see Kanye in the West House <laughs> but I think it would be wonderful to see Kim Kardashian the First Lady I think not since Jackie Kennedy would there be such a splendiferous
0: <laughs> character there uh, but he's just found God hasn't he he's just released an album of religiously inspired tracks looking through the cynical prism do you think this is part of his political manoeuvring
6: well He has always had quite religious uh, leanings anyway. In 2016, he brought out The Life of Pablo, which was a gospel album. And when he was interviewed about that, he said that uh, he doesn't describe himself as religious. He calls himself spiritual. So there's always been that element there. I think that this new album, Jesus is King, is without doubt part of his political maneuvering. And he's doing these Sunday services, which are pop-up religious things. But then are they religious or are they just kind of cult? party because it's by invite only. They're springing up everywhere and they're hugely, hugely popular. He's trademarked it now and to me it's Really, the beginning of his campaign uh, to become president.
0: I know everybody said this about Donald Trump. We can't possibly elect a bloke who is the presenter of The Apprentice. But really, is there a chance of Kanye getting enough wide appeal?
6: I don't think that he would get the Republican vote. And that's the first hurdle to pass. That's the major hurdle. I certainly think they're they're enough. people in the country to vote for him without a shadow of a doubt but first of all you have to get the republican vote and i think he stands no chance of getting that
0: that is absolutely brilliant (laughs) thank you so much jackie and i assume if he does become president jay-z will be secretary of state won't he
6: oh absolutely and the whole of the kardashians will be in the government it'll be fantastic
0: well watch this space we'll come back to you jackie (laughs) thanks very much indeed And that's it this week from It's Friday. Thanks to all my guests. And thank you to you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at itsfriday at mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back next Friday and every week with your MailPlus briefings at mailplus.co.uk. But for now, I'm Jim White. Goodbye.